0: Good morning. If you have a Bible, we'll be in the book of Jonah this morning. Uh, Jonah can be found on the Pew Bibles on page 774. It's only two pages long in the Bible, so this shouldn't be too long of a sermon, maybe an hour, hour and a half. Uh, so we go. Jonah is right after Obadiah. It's right before Micah. It's in the middle of that section of the Old Testament that we call the Minor Prophets. And they're minor not because they're minor in importance, they're minor simply because of the size of the books. There's 12 of them and they're very small. Of all the minor prophets, Jonah may be the most familiar to you. After all, no matter your church background, whether you've been in church your entire life or like me, came to church later in life, came to faith later in life, uh, you've likely heard the story of Jonah in the belly of a great fish. And if you haven't, you will today. Jonah in the belly of a great fish is usually the first thing that people think when you say you're going to preach through the book of Jonah. But, friends, the thing that you need to know this morning at the outset is this Jonah is not about a great fish. It's not really even about Jonah. This book is about God. It's about God the Creator, it's about God the Savior, God the Merciful, God the Gracious. Jonah is unlike all other prophetic literature in the Bible. It's the only book where a prophetic word is addressed to a people other than God's people. It's the, book of, the book of Jonah is a prophetic narrative. It's intended to teach the reader that there is someone greater, namely God Himself, who is owed our obedience, owed our gratitude, owed our trust, and owed our devotion. Jonah is only four chapters. Each chapter is something like a scene in an unfolding drama that teaches us about God and teaches us about ourself. So we're going to consider Jonah this morning under four scenes. Uh, they roughly follow the chapters, but not quite, and you'll see that as we go through. Uh, scene one, or point one, if you want to take notes like that. Scene one, is uh, we will consider God the Creator and our disobedience. God the Creator and our disobedience. In scene two, we will consider God the Savior and our disability. God the Savior and our disability. Scene three, we're going to consider God the merciful and our disbelief. God the merciful and our disbelief. And finally, in scene four, we will consider God who is gracious. God the gracious and our disdain. God the Gracious in Our Disdain. And we're going to ask in each of these four scenes two questions. What does this teach us about God? And what does this teach us about ourselves? But before we get into the text this morning, I ask that you join me in prayer. And ask God to be with us as we consider His Word. Let's pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we are not, make us. What we have not, give us. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Now hear the Word of God from chapter 1, scene 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. I'll so let me read the first six verses of chapter 1 uh, at the moment. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to their God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God... Will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Jonah chapter 1 teaches us that God is the sovereign creator and we are disobedient creatures. God is the sovereign creator and we are disobedient creatures. In the very first verse of this book, we're introduced to the two main characters throughout this drama God and Jonah. And we should be immediately struck at the relationship between these two characters. One character, God, commands the other character, Jonah. God speaks an authoritative word to Jonah. He says, arise. Go to Nineveh. And this opening is meant to show from the very outset the primary relationship struggle throughout the rest of this book. Uh, A sovereign and His subject. A master and His servant. The Creator and His creature, God and His prophet. In scene 1 of Jonah, we learn that God is the sovereign creator. In the beginning of the Bible, in, in the beginning of our world, in the beginning of all things, God spoke all things into existence. And God's Word has authority because God is the author of all things. The author of life itself. Genesis 1, tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth by the Word of His power. And how true it is that throughout the Scripture, God's Word creates and recreates. The Word pronounces blessings and curse, commands like we see here, and it calls for obedience. God's Word judges and God's Word saves. And here in the beginning of Jonah, God speaks an authoritative word and He means for Jonah to listen. We moved to Washington, D.C. about 18 months after we were married, Lindsay and I. And early in our marriage, some of you may recall that I would walk around and tell people how many children we planned to have, how we planned to discipline them, how we planned to educate them, and all the other plans in my life that uh, I thought I had figured out, or not so much for those who knew better. I had grand visions in my head of how I would be something like Captain Von Trapp in The Sound of Music. I would speak and my children would instinctively obey. There would be a certain obedience about my children, uh, an obedience to my word, a healthy fear, really, an awe of their daddy's majestic power. Some of you, many of you, have met my children. You haven't seen them in a while, but I can assure you, they are nothing like the Von Trapp children. Uh, At least not yet. Still working on it. I've been disabused over the years of the fact that my word has ultimate authority in my home over my children like it should have. I'm not God. But God's word is altogether different than my word. God is the Almighty. He is the maker of heaven and earth. And God rules His creation by His word. And Jonah knows this. Jonah knows that God rules the creation by His word. Jonah is a prophet of God. We don't know much about Jonah and and this text doesn't give us much about who Jonah is. But he makes another appearance in the Bible. You don't have to turn there. But in 2 Kings 14, we hear of Jonah. And he's identified as a prophet of God. 2 Kings 14, starting in verse 3. I'm going to read this. It says, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria and he reigned forty-one years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath, as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from gath hepher Jonah was a prophet of God. He had access to the heavenly throne room of God where the Word of the Lord would come to him in a special way. He knew better than most that the Word of God rules the creation, that the Word accomplishes all that God intends. Friends, the good news is that God still rules the world by His Word today. The Apostle John wrote 800 years after Jonah that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God's Word is in fact the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God the Father, the exact imprint of His nature. And when the Word of the Lord came to Jonah, it was God the Father speaking through God the Son in the power of God the Holy Spirit. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that in Jesus Christ, God upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so it is today. God rules the world by his word, by Jesus Christ. God's word is the Lord Jesus Christ, but God's written word is the Bible. As the Lord Jesus sits enthroned at the right hand of the Father, God speaks to us today through his Spirit in his written word, the Bible. This church's statement of faith sums it up well when it says, the Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is a perfect treasure of heavenly instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. That it reveals the principles by which God will judge us and therefore is and shall remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union." Friends, we need no new prophetic word from God. We have God's perfect, all-sufficient Word in the Bible. God has spoken to us with the same clarity with which He speaks to Jonah in verses 1 and 2. And so what is Jonah's response to the Word of the Lord? We read in verse 3, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah's response to God's Word is to disobey God's Word. And he didn't just disobey a little bit. It it may be lost on us the directional wordplay going on in the text. Jonah is in Israel. Nineveh is about 500 miles northeast of Israel in modern-day Assyria, about 200 miles north of present-day Baghdad, maybe maybe Mosul in Iraq. That's roughly where it is. When when Jonah flees from Israel, he's supposed to go here. When he flees from Israel, he goes 2,000 miles northwest of Israel, likely to modern-day Spain, across the Mediterranean Sea. Jonah doesn't just disobey God's Word. He runs headlong in the opposite direction of God's command. The directional wordplay may be lost on us today, but the irony should not be lost on us. This prophet of the Lord who stood in the presence of God, who spoke the Word of God, he runs away in an effort to run away from the presence of the Lord. This prophet who surely knew by heart that Davidic Psalm 139, where can I go from Your Spirit? Where can I flee from Your presence? If I go up to the heavens, You are there. If I make my bed in the depths, You are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even Tarshish, even there Your hand will guide me. And God does just that. He guides Jonah. Even in the midst of his foolish rebellion as He sets off for Tarshish. And so the rest of chapter 1 is pregnant with the reality that in the midst of Jonah's rebellion... God is still in control. God rules the creation by His Word, and He rules the creation through His providence. In verse 4, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Jonah may not obey God's commands, but God can make the wind do His bidding. And the wind caused the sea to rage, striking fear in the sailors. But Jonah, presumptuous as ever, and fast asleep, disregarded God's providential storm. Verse 7, which I haven't read, but you can read this afternoon. Verse 7 is meant to remind us of Proverbs 16.33, that the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is of the Lord. And the Lord made the lot fall on Jonah. Even in Jonah's disobedience and disregard of God, God makes the lot fall to Him. Friends, just because you disregard God's Word does not mean you have fled from God's rule. You may stop your ears to the Word of God, but you cannot remove yourself from the presence of God. Jonah teaches us that we cannot flee God's presence and this scene teaches us that our disobedience is met by God's judgment. Verse 11 we read, Then they said to Him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Jonah said to them, Pick me up. Hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of Me that this great tempest has come upon you. In the middle of the storm of God's judgment, Jonah confesses that the judgment is right. It is because of His disobedience that this judgment has come upon them. And friends, this is the end of all disobedience to God. Judgment. Because God is just, He must punish sin. And so here the book of Jonah teaches us that disobedience to God results in judgment from God. And so scene scene 1 ends with an air of fear and anticipation. The pagan sailors seem to understand God's judgment and it causes them to fear the Lord greatly, the text says. But what becomes of Jonah as he's hurled into the sea? Is Jonah lost forever in God's judgment? Well, scene 2 dawns in chapter 1, verse 17. In chapter 1, verse 17, we're reminded of God's sovereignty over His creation. But it's a different scene, and you'll see why in just a minute. Verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. In the Hebrew text, uh, verse 17 fits better with uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. We've just kind of drawn that line differently in our English Bibles. That's why I included it in scene 2. is because this story of what happens to Jonah fits well with what we read in chapter 2. I want to go ahead and address the 800-pound great fish in the room. Yes, I believe that a great fish swallowed the prophet Jonah. Just as the text says. The New Testament cites this event as an historical event. It's presented here to us as an historical event. It may not be easily explained, but friends, we can trust God's Word. It is His world. He can do what He wishes with it. It's likely that the great fish was maybe a sperm whale or some sort of similarly sized fish, but in reality, don't let this hang, uh, hang you up. The fish is barely a character in this drama. It's only mentioned twice here in verse 17 at the end of Chapter 2. Scene 2, which we'll consider now, teaches us that our disobedience to God, the Creator from scene 1, leads to our disability to save ourselves from God's judgment. We need God to be our Savior. So now hear the Word of God in Jonah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Here in Jonah chapter 2, we have a prayer of praise and thanksgiving. You might think that Jonah would pray a prayer of deliverance, being stuck in the belly of a great fish. But Jonah realizes that the great fish is the means of salvation to him. Verse 2, God saves Jonah from the belly of Sheol, the depths of death and hell by the belly of a great fish. In verse 3, Jonah confesses God's sovereign judgment. For you cast me, he says. All of your waves and your billows pass over me. Jonah is as good as dead in verses 4, 5, and 6. His life fainting away in verse 7. Friends, this is not just Jonah's condition in this particular story under God's judgment. This is your spiritual condition in your particular story. This is the spiritual condition of each one of us as Ephesians 2 tells us. We are by nature children of God's judgment, of God's wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved Jonah, Jonah, and with which He loves you. He made Jonah alive. God saved Jonah. Jonah cried out to God in the midst of his weakness, despair, and helplessness. And isn't that exactly the time in our lives when God is prone to work? Whenever we call out to Him in the midst of our weakness and helplessness and despair. The Lord answered Jonah's prayer and He brought up Jonah's life from the pit. Verse 6, In the midst of our weakness, we need God's strength. And with a confident declaration at the end of this prayer, Jonah tells us what we all need to hear. He speaks hope to the soul who despairs under the crashing waves of hopelessness. He speaks comfort to the soul who is afflicted by the hurling winds of this life. Jonah speaks life to the soul who knows it is drowning in the sea of God's judgment. Jonah declares that salvation belongs to the Lord. And friends, we need salvation to belong to the Lord because if salvation belonged to you or to me, we would be in the belly of Sheol in the depths of hell. Our life would faint away unless salvation belongs to the Lord. But as it is, God plans and God accomplishes and God applies the work of our salvation. Christian, what gratitude we owe to God our Savior. Know that the Lord is our God. It is He who made us. He is our salvation. And Christian, we are His. Come, Christians, join to sing. Hallelujah. Amen. Loud praise to Christ our King. Hallelujah. Amen. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And friends, that salvation is mercy for all kinds of people. Mercy for those who disbelieve God's word. And so hear God's word in Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed and removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. Don't miss that after the prayer of praise and thanksgiving in in Jonah two, Jonah committed himself to obey God's command. In the Christian life, in the Christian life, salvation precedes Thanksgiving, and thanksgiving precedes obedience. Our obedience flows out of our salvation and out of our thanksgiving. And notice too Christian that God did not forsake Jonah even when Jonah had fled from God. Christian, be encouraged that God is faithful to supply the strength you need to complete the work He calls you to do even if you've been unfaithful in the past. Well, Jonah finally makes it to the place God originally sent him, to Nineveh. The The Ninevites were a fierce people. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria and as we know from Isaiah, um Assyria was an avowed enemy of God's people. We start to realize a hint of why Jonah might have fled and disobeyed God's Word. He fled because he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to risk his life for a people he didn't think deserved his life. Jonah was sent by God to these people to preach a word of coming judgment. A judgment due to all people who disobey God's commands. So Jonah walks into that great city full of commerce, full of entertainment, full of power. A city like this great city focused on the here and now and the momentary uh, grasp of power and wealth. And Jonah engages the Ninevites with eternal matters, eternal judgment and eternal life. Jonah preached God's Word of judgment and repentance, calling the Ninevites from their disobedience and disbelief, from their sin, to trust in the living and true God. And the most amazing thing happened. The Ninevites, in verse 5, believed God. And not just the least in Nineveh, but the greatest, the king in Nineveh. Friends, God is no respecter of persons. He judges all and He extends mercy to all, from the greatest even to the least. The king decrees in verse 7 the time of repentance, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn away from evil and from the violence that is in his hands. Friends, if you hear this morning and you're not a Christian, Hear the call of repentance even today. For my Christian friends, hear the call of repentance even today. Turn away from sin. Turn from disbelief in and disobedience to the Sovereign Creator. Turn to God who will save you from judgment just like He did Jonah. God the Son, Jesus Christ, came into the world to save you. Believe on Him. What mercy is given to these Ninevites and what mercy is available to you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, be encouraged by Jonah 3 in your evangelism. Notice that the preached Word of God brought belief in the Ninevites from disbelief. It produced repentance in them. So friends, brothers and sisters, be faithful in your evangelism. Trust God to exercise mercy just like He did over you and over the Ninevites. This God of mercy is due our believing hearts. He's due our faith. He's due our trust. And so we've seen that God is the sovereign Creator and He's due our obedience. We've seen that God is the sovereign Savior and He's due our gratitude. We've seen that God is merciful and He's due our trust. And lastly, in scene 4, Jonah Chapter 4, we learn that God is gracious. And He's due our full devotion. Hear God's Word from Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, "Do you do well to be angry? which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? And also much cattle? Jonah 4 explains a lot about scenes 1, 2, and 3. Uh, This scene, this chapter, finally reveals the heart that drove... Jonah to flee in the plan that God had in the midst of his fleeing, it highlights further Jonah's real need and that only God can provide it it reveals the complexity of unbelief and the depths of God's mercy after God has shown great mercy to the wicked Ninevites you would expect Jonah the recipient of that same mercy to rejoice Instead, we see that it displeased Jonah and not just a little, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly that God might show the Ninevites mercy. The mercy of God in chapter 3 is met with the disdain of Jonah in chapter 4. Jonah hates what God has done. He hates that God would show mercy. That He would relent from judgment on a people that Jonah hates. And Jonah's disdain for God's mercy is so intense that three times, one time for each day spent in the belly of the great fish that saved him, Jonah asked God to die. Do you disdain God? Do you hold God in contempt? Do you hold God's sovereignty in contempt? Maybe you want salvation to belong to you. Are you bitter toward Him for the frowning providences in your life? Maybe you don't think you have disdain for God like Jonah. Jonah didn't think he held God in contempt either. But do you have disdain? Do you hold in contempt another human being created in God's image? Are you filled with disgust, with hate, with anger toward people of a different race, of a different ethnicity, toward people of a different religion, toward people of a different political party? Friends, disdain for God's image bearers is disdain for God. Do not harbor contempt in your soul toward another person, for it is contempt for God. We see here the remedy for disdain toward God is to devote yourself to the grace of God. God's response to Jonah's disdain is grace. It's been grace throughout this entire drama. It's all of grace. Coming to Jonah in word. Pursuing Jonah as he fled. Saving Jonah through judgment. Coming to Jonah again in word. Using Jonah's preaching as a conduit of his mercy. In it all, God is as Jonah says He is in verse 3. A gracious God. Merciful. Slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love relenting from disaster. And in these last seven verses of this book, we see God teaching Jonah and teaching us just that. God gives him a shade that he didn't work for, that he didn't deserve. And therein lies a mini parable. Here God asks Jonah, should I not pity Nineveh? Should I not be gracious to these people who do not know their right from their left or who have no moral sense of clarity? Maybe, should I not pity the people who, uh, who cut you off on the highway? Should I not pity your child who's throwing a fit? Should I not pity the person of a different color who maybe has spit in your face, torn down your statue? Should I not show pity to that person who is lost and under my judgment? And this rhetorical question from God at the end of this book is meant to leave us saying, yes, yes, as you've shown pity to Nineveh, as you've shown pity to Jonah, as you've shown pity to all of these people, God, yes, pity Nineveh, pity us. Yes God, show pity. But the rhetorical question was answered for us actually, in, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12. Gospel of Matthew chapter 12, Jesus Christ stood before Pharisees who demanded a sign from him. And Jesus said this: He said, "An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah." For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, someone greater than Jonah has come. Friends, someone greater than Jonah has come. The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ obeyed all of God's commands. He came when the Father said go. And yet He was thrown into the raging sea of God's wrath on the cross. Jesus spent three days and three nights in the belly of the earth and was raised to life again. He preaches repentance and faith to us, to us Ninevites. And the only right response to this merciful and gracious Savior is trust and gratitude and obedience and full devotion. We owe Jesus our obedience for He is the Word of God. We owe Him our gratitude for salvation belongs to Him. We owe Him our repentance and our faith. We owe Him our full devotion because Jesus is the fullness of God's grace to us. Friends, should God pity Nineveh? Yes, He has and He will. Yes and Amen in Jesus Christ. Trust Him today, Ninevites. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, we confess that You are the Creator of everyone and everything. You are the author of life, and so You have authority over us and we praise You that You are merciful and kind and gracious and good, slow to anger, abounding and steadfast. Up. You are God, our Savior, in and through Jesus Christ, the Son. And so God, I pray that we would trust, obey, and be devoted to Jesus Christ. God, take us Make us, give us all that we need. In Jesus we pray, amen.